looked at three prerequisites, three truths that have to be settled in your heart if you're going to be able to make godly decisions. That's the foundation. And what were those three truths? Number one, Jesus has to be enthroned as the master of our life. That has to be first, right? And if that's not the case, if that's not true, you won't be able to make godly decisions. Secondly, we have to understand, not just understand, but embrace God's objective for us. That God's objective might be different than our objective. God's objective is that we live a holy life, a life that looks like Jesus. And we have to embrace that and sometimes make difficult choices where we choose to look like Jesus. We choose holiness over worldly pursuits. And thirdly, we said we have to come to believe that the Bible, when the Spirit of God opens it up to us, it's enough. It's everything you need to be able to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. You don't need anything else. You need the Word of God. You need the Spirit of God. You've got everything you need. So those are the three foundations. But today we want to look at some practical but biblical steps that we can take in making a godly decision. So we're going to look at, we're going to have six steps. We're going to focus on the third step, I believe it is, uh, where we're applying God's word to, to our life. So before we dive in, let's begin with prayer. Father, we, we are asking you now that by your spirit you would come and meet us and speak to us. Father, you see how we're tired. This is here the fourth day that we, Everyone's been going at it. Pray that you would renew our minds, renew our strength and energy that we might hear what you have to say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday we had a key verse. What was the key verse? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Can we say it again together? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him. And he will direct your paths. And to me, this this is the very heart of godly decision-making. Trusting in God with all of your heart. That's where it all begins. And so these are very important verses. So what are the steps that we need to take in order to make godly choices? Number one, submit your will to the will of God. Now yesterday we spoke about enthroning Jesus in your life. And there has to be a point in your life where you do that, where you make Jesus the king of your life, the master of your life. But this is not just a decision that you make at one point in time in your life. This is also something that you have to come back to again and again and again. That at every fork in the road, you need to again submit your will to God's will. Does that make sense? So when you're faced with the decision, this is where you begin. Just, Lord, am I, I, I'm submitted to you. I wanna, I wanna go your way. I don't wanna go my way. And so we have to honestly be able to say that. We have to honestly be able to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. George Mueller. Anybody heard of George Mueller? He was a man of God, a man of prayer. He had an incredible ministry among the orphans of England in uh, the 1800s. 
He didn't believe in asking for help, for financial help, so he never made his needs known. And um, he didn't believe he should ever go into debt. But God used him and answered a prayer. God used him to care for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. You should read his biography. He actually wrote an autobiography. It's fascinating to read how God used him. But he, um, this is what he writes about making decisions. He says, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regards to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. That's where you have to begin. That's huge. He says it's nine-tenths of the problem right here. I met my wife in Colorado while I was in seminary. And when we were first getting to know each other, we'd go on a weekly date. And I decided that at the end of each of those dates, those date nights, before I dropped her off at her home, we were going to stop and we were going to pray. And we would stop in the driveway and we would both of us pray. She would pray and I would pray. And the focus of our praying was this. Lord, we want your will more than our will in this relationship. If this relationship is not about you, if it's not going to glorify you, we don't want it. You know, Show us. What, what were we doing again and again and again, week after week after week for many months? We were submitting our will to the will of God. Now, if you do that, that brings a lot of assurance when he doesn't take it away, when he doesn't lead you away, right? If, I mean, I'm married to her now, and I have a lot of assurance that God had her for me, right? But why? I had submitted it to him. And I gave it over to him. What if I hadn't done that? What if I had just said, no, I want it. I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna ask God because he might not want it for me, you know? I'm not even gonna go to him because I'm afraid he might take it away from me. Well, maybe I wouldn't have as much assurance that that was really what God had for me, right? Now this is huge. Many times we might think that we're struggling with guidance, but what we're really struggling, if we're honest, we're struggling with obedience might not be guidance, it might be obedience. Sometimes it's very clear what God wants us to do. It's just that we don't want to do it. We have a hard time accepting it. Think about Jesus. Jesus faced the most difficult decision a person could ever make. you believe that? Here's the decision, option one. He had these options. Option one, he could call out to his father to send him 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. That's, you know, and each of these angels is better than any special force soldier. You know, like 72,000. And he could be delivered from the cross. That was an option. It was a real option. And Jesus was aware of the option because he mentions it right there, doesn't he? And option two was he could do the will of his father. He could obey his father and be arrested, falsely accused, tortured, and then nailed to a cross and there die. But it wasn't Jesus' physical sufferings that was the worst part of that decision. It was if Jesus was to obey his father, he was going to have to take on your sin and my sin. 
He he who knew no sin, he who who didn't have any connection with sin, any he didn't have any stain of sin upon his being. He had to drink a cup full of sin, full of murder and lies and lusts and all of that. He he had to drink that cup and bear that sin. And not just bear that sin, but then bear the punishment of that sin, the wrath of God against sin. He had to bear that in our place. It's a tough choice, you know. 72,000 angels, we're out of here. See ya. Or bear, drink the cup. Drink the cup. Well, how does Jesus face the choice? He faced the choice on his knees in a garden. That's how he faced the choice. Prayer. And note how honest Jesus is. He says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, if there's any other way, let me not have to go there. He's being honest. I don't want this. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. But then how does he end? Yet not my will, but your will be done, right? But not as I will, but as you will. And this is helpful to us because there's times when you're going to have to make some tough choices, difficult choices. And Jesus is encouraging you here by example to be honest with God. Be honest about the difficulty of it. It's tough. I don't want it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. But always end with, yet not as I will, but as you will. Like you've got to end there if you're going to make a godly decision. Does that make sense? Father, I don't want to go to that school. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, Father, I don't want to take that job. Yet not as I will but as you will. Father, I don't want this hardship in my life. I want to run from this, yet not as I will, but as you will. So, first, submit your will to the will of God. That's number one. Number two, pray, pray, and pray again, asking God for wisdom and guidance. You can't pray too much. Pray, pray. And make sure that you're actually praying about the decision. Make sure that You're actually stopping other things, that you're putting your phone down, that you're getting down on your knees and you're actually spending time asking God to guide you, to lead you. Pray. Pray God's word. The the Bible is full of prayers to God from his people that that he would lead them. I mean, again and again and again in God's word. I'm going to point out a few of them here, but you can take these prayers and you can adapt them and you can make them your own. Pray the word of God. Um, Pray God's word. Here's some prayers you could pray. Psalm 25 is one of my personal favorite psalms regarding guidance. The whole psalm is about guidance. And um, you could pray the whole psalm to God. It would be a great psalm to soak in if you're making a decision. But here in verses 4 and 5, Make me know your ways, O Lord. You pray that. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Like make that your prayer. Or you might pray Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will. Like I want to do your will, God. Teach me to do your will. 
For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Like I want to be led by you. I want to be led by your spirit. Or you might pray Colossians 1.9. This is a little bit more difficult to make it your own, but you can. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray that, God. Father, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Like, do that for me. In all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want to have a walk that is worthy of you. I want to walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord. I want to please you fully. I want to bear fruit in every good work. I want to increase in the knowledge of you, Father. Pray that prayer. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. Or James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Take that to the throne. Father, you said... You said that if we lack wisdom, we need to ask of you. And I sure lack wisdom. And you also said you'd give it generously, you know. Without reproach means the Father isn't going to look at you and go, you're coming again? Like you came five minutes ago. Like, come on. You know, stop bugging me. No, he gives without reproach. He's so glad that you're coming back again. So ask. Ask, ask, pray, pray, pray. Don't make decisions too quickly. This is part of prayer, right? Make sure you've adequately laid the matter before God. You don't want to rush ahead into decisions. If you can help it, spend time. Try to wait before, especially before you make big decisions. As as a rule, the bigger the decision, the longer you want to wait before you make it more time you want to spend in prayer. The Bible has a lot to say. I'm not going to spend much time here, but the Bible has a lot to say about waiting for the Lord. If you read the Psalms, you'll see it again and again. Wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Part of being godly is not stepping ahead of God, but waiting upon God. Waiting upon God in prayer. Esther made a decision to go into the presence of the king. Esther was the queen, and she was going to go into the presence of the king with a request, knowing that it could mean death for her, right? You know the story. Because the queen, and nobody was supposed to go into the king's presence unless they were summoned. But she decided she's going to go. She's going to go. Well, what does she do before she goes? What does she do before she makes that choice to go? She prays and she fasts for three days. And not that, not just that, but she asks all her people, all the Jews, all of you pray and fast for me for three days. And she, she pauses. She could have just gone, hey, I know what we need to do. I need to go to the king, you know. He needs to do what I want him to do. Off she goes, you know. No, she pauses. She prays. She fasts even. Sometimes in big decisions, you want to not just pray, you want to spend time fasting, foregoing other things, foregoing food or other activities to concentrate your attention upon God, to seek His face, say, I need to know your will. I want to know your will. So do you want to be assured of the will of God? Make sure you've spent enough time committing your way to the Lord. Make sure you're acknowledging Him. In all of your ways. Okay? Pray, pray, and pray. Third, 
Apply the clear teachings of Scripture to the decision. Are we doing all right here so far? Doing good? Following? Okay, so submit, pray, and now apply the clear teachings of Scripture to the decision. Yesterday we made the point that the Bible is sufficient, right? And God's primary means of leading us is by His Spirit through His Word. That's how He's going to lead you, primarily. And so it's important that you spend time in the Word of God. That you regularly spend time in the Word of God. The the Bible has to become the grid through which you filter every decision. Does that make sense? And as you read God's Word regularly and you get to know God's Word, you'll more and more you'll, you'll, you'll be able to make godly decisions. It'll become easier and easier to make godly decisions. And so allow God's Word, as it says in Colossians, to dwell richly within you. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? To let it dwell richly within you. It's interesting. Ephesians and Colossians are a lot of like. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of similarities or parallels. And in the exact same place in Ephesians, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you go to the same spot, the parallel spot in Colossians, it says, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Well, they're not the same thing. They're slightly different, but they're both necessary, right? Spirit of God by the word of God is going to lead you. Now, why do we struggle with decisions? Sometimes we struggle with decisions because we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking questions like, should I be a lawyer or a doctor? Um, God, do you want me to work or go to school? Do you want me to go to Texas or Tanzania? You know, where, what do you want me to do? But sometimes those are, we're asking questions that are of concern to us but they're not of primary concern to God. Not that he doesn't care about them, but they're not his first concern. What are God's concerns? It's not so much our location or our vocation as much as it is our attitude, our actions. You know, you have rejoice in the Lord, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks for this is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what are some good questions we can ask in making a decision? Biblical questions. And I'm going to take some of these from a book called Discovering God's Will by Sinclair Ferguson. And this is a book I would recommend. If you want to know more about discovering God's will, making godly choices, this would be a book I would recommend. It's a short book, but it's one if you're interested to go deeper, you could read it. First question you want to ask yourself is, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Does this decision conform to God's moral law? Is it right or is it wrong? This is black and white right here. Is it right or is it wrong according to God? Any decision that will cause us to break God's law as revealed in the Bible is wrong. Can we say that? If it causes us to break God's law, it's wrong. Always. Always. No exceptions. Live within the boundaries of God's word. If you're invited to a party where you know there's going to be a lot of alcohol and you will be pressured to drink too much and get drunk, don't go. It's wrong because the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. So it's wrong. If you're invited to watch a movie and you know there's going to be certain sexual scenes, 
The Bible says don't look at a woman to lust after her in her heart. It goes both ways for women. Don't look at a man to lust after him. Don't go. Say, no, thank you. I can't watch that movie. Uh, yeah, you might look, they might look at you weird. They might make fun of you. It doesn't matter. Make the godly choice, right? Make the godly decision. Let's say you feel attracted to a guy or you guys attracted to a girl who's not a follower of Jesus Christ and you are and you want to begin a relationship with that person. Don't deceive yourself by thinking, oh, well, I can reach them for Christ, you know? Or I really have strong feelings for that person. It just, it just feels right. I have such a peace about this. The Bible makes it very clear. Don't marry a person. If you're a Christian, don't marry a person who's not a Christian. Which by implication means don't even date them. Right? So don't do it. This is black and white. You don't have to think about this. Well, maybe you think about it, but. Make the godly choice. Okay. Don't appeal to Christian freedom. Don't appeal to providential circumstance. It just fell in my lap. She fell in my... No. Um, <laughs> if it is forbidden by God, then it is wrong. It's wrong. God's not trying to rain on your parade. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to protect you from death. So God has set us free. As believers, He set us free to do what is right. He's not set us free so that we can be enslaved again to what's wrong. So, do what's right. Is it lawful? That's the first question. Secondly, is it helpful? So Paul says, all things are lawful for me. There's a lot of things that are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. So maybe you've determined that this course of action is lawful. The Bible doesn't say anything against it. Maybe it doesn't go against God's moral law, but maybe it's not helpful. Maybe it's not beneficial. You should still ask yourself that question. As Ferguson writes, there may be nothing wrong with the action, but there may be nothing right with it either. Does that make sense? Maybe nothing wrong with it, but there might not be anything right with it either. So here's the big question. Ask yourself this question. This is a huge one to me right here. Will this course of action strengthen my relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what you're after, right? Will this course of action strengthen my relationship with Jesus Christ? Will it draw me closer to Him? Or will it what? Will it consume my time and energy and interest in such a way that I'll be spiritually poor? Will this course of action strengthen my relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's say you're dating a guy or guys are dating a girl and they claim to be a Christian, so that's not the issue. It's lawful, you could say. But ask yourself this question. Is my relationship with this individual, is it drawing me closer to God? Or is it pulling me away from God? My friends, if it's not drawing you closer to God, like run from the relationship now. Like, stop it. It's not helping you. Just run from it. Just just be done with it now. Should I own a smartphone or a dumb phone? That's not a sin to own a smartphone, but it sure can lead you into a lot of sin, can it? 
So if a smartphone is leading you into sin, then it's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to your Christian life. To make the godly choice. It comes down, it really comes down to some real practical nuts and bolts, doesn't it? Let's imagine you persons recently come to Christ. You recently come to Christ, you're a baby Christian. You have this choice, two colleges. One is a Christian college where there's a strong discipleship program. The other is a secular school where you know you're going to be pressured again and again to turn your back on Christ. Well, it's not wrong to go to the secular school. I'm not saying it's necessarily sin, but but which is going to be more helpful to you in your baby Christian state? Does that make sense? Make the godly choice. So, is it helpful? Third, is it enslaving? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So something may be legitimate, but the question is, will I end up in its power? Will I end up in its power? You know, I love sports. You know, I love to play soccer. It's not wrong. It can be wholesome, right? But will I end up in its power to where it controls me? Does that make sense? Will this commitment become the dominant and driving force in my life? Maybe you have the choice between two jobs. One job pays more, but you know it's going to consume all your time so that you won't have any time to really seek God, to read His Word, to fellowship with His people. The other job pays less, but you're going to have more time. Like, What is the godly choice? Are you going to... Is it godly, is it a right choice to choose the higher paying job knowing that it's going to enslave you? Does it make sense? It's going to end up controlling you. Now Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. And this is different for different people, right? Sports might not be your problem, <laughs> but maybe school, studying might be something that can become enslaving, Right? Achievement in school or work, you know, you I mean there's a work workaholics, you know. Go, 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 go. So it might be different for different people, but we have a tendency as human beings to turn good things into bad things. To take legitimate activities, good activities, and turn them into ultimate activities, turn them into idols. So be careful, be on your guard against being enslaved. What's another question? Can I do it with a clear conscience? Well, this is an interesting one. Paul says that I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. Like that was kind of a rule of thumb for the Apostle Paul. I, I would encourage you, it would be fascinating for you to do this if you have time. Um, if you could find a computer program, you can find it online. Search the word conscience in the Bible and look at every verse that says something about the conscience. It's fascinating. There's a lot in the Bible about the conscience, especially the New Testament. What is that conscience? What is our conscience? Well, that, our conscience is that inner sense of what's right and what's wrong. You know what I mean? That inner sense of when you do something wrong, you, you feel guilty about it. You're like, that was wrong. 
Now, the conscience is not an ultimate guide. Do you agree with me? Because it's possible to harden your conscience. It's possible to sear your conscience so that it's not going when it should be going. Right? It's possible to be too sensitive in your conscience to where it's going when it doesn't need to be going. You know? That makes sense? But the conscience is something you never want to... You can reprogram the conscience, but you never want to ignore the conscience. Does that make sense? You can reprogram it through the Word of God by reading the Word of God and letting it reprogram your conscience to what is right, what is wrong, but never ignore your conscience. And so the question is, can I do this with a clear conscience? Can I... Can I make this decision? Can I go to this movie or this place or this activity and can I look Jesus full in the face without shame? Like that's that's a good question to ask. Can I can I be there wherever I'm going deciding to go or do or doing whatever I'm doing and can I look look at Jesus full in the face without shame with a clear conscience? It's a good good questions to ask, isn't it? Yeah. I think these can be really helpful questions. Um, is it helpful for others? Godly decisions are not selfish decisions. If we're going to make godly decisions, we must consider the impact our decision will have on others. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So will it help others? So we must not just think about, will this course of action help me, but will it benefit others? Will it promote their relationship with Jesus Christ? All right, I'm going to hurry up here. Am I seeking God's kingdom? Am I seeking first God's kingdom? Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here we're thinking about... The context here is worry, if you look at Matthew 6. And Jesus is talking about the people, the Gentiles, the unbelievers out there, who they're worried about the things of life. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? Like all the necessities of life. And he says, you don't need to be worried about that. You have a Father in heaven. You seek my kingdom. Well, what is God's... What is the task that God has given us? What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Well, you could, you could... Put this verse next to it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you ask yourself this question. Is this what is this what my life is about primarily? Like, will this decision help me to make disciples of all the nations? Like, will it help me to do what God's given me to do? It's a good question to ask. Is this what I'm aiming for? Can I do it for the glory of God? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So not can I get away with it? Can I do this and get away with it? But can I do it and by doing it, point people to God? Can I point people to God? This question perhaps is a question that summarizes really all the other questions. Now, there's a lot more in the Word of God, but these are some general principles that you could ask, general questions you can ask about decisions. 
Now, if you're making a decision about money, the Bible has a lot to say about money. So look up those passages. If the if you're making a decision about your family, the Bible has a lot to say about family. Does it make sense? Relationships? The Bible says a lot about relationships. So I'm not saying this is all you have to look at, but these are some big, big questions you can ask yourself. So apply the clear teachings of God's word to the decision. Good? Number four. Gather information and analyze the pros and cons of each decision in light of the Bible's teaching. Gather information. Now, what I'm encouraging you to do here is use your brain. And this is biblical. Ephesians 5.10, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word that we get, uh, the, the translation, try to discern, means to test, to examine, to weigh, to discern. That means using your brain, right? You're trying to use your mind to understand what God's will is. A few verses later there in 5.17, therefore do not be foolish. So don't leave your brain, don't check out mentally, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So Christianity isn't a religion that encourages you to check out mentally, to stop using your brain. It's true that we are not to lean on on our own understanding, right? But that doesn't mean we're not to use our understanding. There's a difference between leaning on it and using it. Does it make sense? Use your understanding. Use it in a way that depends upon God. Use it in a spirit of prayer, as we have mentioned earlier. Use it using the filter of God's word, right? But use it. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Guidance, knowing God's will for our lives, is much more a matter of thinking than feeling. Don't feel your way to the will of God. Think your way. Pray your way. Apply scripture your way. Does that make sense? To the will of God. F.B. Meyer, for the most part, God will speak in the results of deliberate consideration, weighing and balancing the pros and cons. So gather information. I encourage you to write things down so you can see it on paper. For big decisions, I like making pros and cons chart. Here's a pros and cons chart I made a few years ago. I was in the middle of a master's degree and halfway through, I just was not sure whether it was the godly choice to keep going and finish my master's or to stop for a time And so I was struggling with this. I was praying with this. I actually stopped for an entire semester to just pray about it because I wasn't sure if it was God's will. I wanted to do what was pleasing to him. And I ended up making this pros and cons chart. Now, note that the, you know, I have continuing my THM, my master's, not continuing my master's. I have positives, I have negatives. So you make this little square and you start writing bullet points. See how I'm using my mind? But as I'm using my mind, I'm using my mind to write things down that are important to God. Right? Marie is behind me in continuing. Now that's important to God because God put Marie and me together, my wife and I together. They made made us one. We have to be together, right, in life. So that's important. I have a desire to do it. I enjoy it. Like that's important. It depends to to a degree, right? 
Like, what is God, what do what do I want to do? What are the desires God has put within me? You have to ask yourself, they're godly desires. It could, you know, I have a responsibility here at EI to teach. God's called me to that, so I think it would add depth to my teaching. It would be beneficial. But look at the negative points. I'll have less time with my family. Now, that's a calling God has placed on my life, right? To care for my family, to provide for my family. It's going to mean less time. It's going to mean more stress. It's going to be being easily swept into an achievement mindset. You see how I'm on guard here? Seeing some of the negatives? It could be hard on my health. At that point, it was kind of hard on my health. You know, but then I jump over to the bottom right side. I could get lazy in studying God's words. You, you put all the pros and cons out. Now, as I did this, it kind of seemed to all even out. I still wasn't sure, you know. But it was still really helpful to do it, right? At least I'm seeing clearly. Okay, if I go, if I don't, here's here's the cost. Here's the cost-benefit analysis. And I'm using Scripture. A lot of people say, I felt like God was leading me to do this or that. And I would encourage you not to use that language. Don't say, I feel like God is dot, 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 dot. Don't do that. Do this. Use this kind of language. Say, I've prayed about this. I've searched God's word. I've sought wise advice. And I believe that God is leading me in such a direction. I might be wrong, but I believe he's leading me in this direction. See how that's different? Don't say, I feel like, eh, feelings come, feelings go, feelings are deceiving. <laughs> you know? No, I've, I've, I've prayed, I've sought God's face, and I believe that this is the right way. All right, fifth, ask counsel from older godly people in your life. Proverbs has a lot to say about seeking counsel. Where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. A wise man, a wise woman, listens to advice. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, I place this step towards the end because it should not replace the other steps. Does it make sense? Don't go to a person with the expectation that they will make the decision for you. Don't put that kind of burden upon them. I see the advice of godly people in your life as playing a confirming role in the decision-making process or perhaps a warning role, warning you, don't go there. Don't do that. Maybe they're seeing something that you're blind to and they're warning So don't get advice from someone until you've submitted it to God, until you've prayed about it, until you've searched the scriptures regarding it, until you've applied your mind to it. Does that make sense? Do all that first, then go get advice. Okay, who are the kind of people you need to choose? Well, choose someone older and wiser than you. I mean, you can talk to your friends about this, but that's not getting advice. Okay, Don't get advice from your peers. Um, the, the great classic example of this is Rehoboam, Solomon's son Rehoboam. You remember what happened to him? He got counsel from the older, wiser men, and then he got counsel from the younger guys, his peers, and he went with the younger guys. And guess what it cost him? It cost him most of his kingdom. 
almost cost him his life. So don't don't go for younger people. Choose older people, wiser people. Choose people who know God and walk with God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't get sometimes good advice from an unbeliever. I'm not saying unbelievers have nothing to offer you. But as a rule, you're trying to make a godly decision. Go to godly people. Does that make sense? Go to people who are walking with God, who have the same priorities, who have the same objectives, have the same values. Choose someone who has walked with God longer than you have. Because they will have more experience in discerning the will of God. They will have more experience in applying God's word to a situation. That makes sense? So avail yourself of those people in your life. Choose people who know you and can understand your situation. Now, that's not always possible, but if you can, choose someone who actually knows you personally. And they can understand your personality and background and gifts and temperaments and personal struggles because they all play a part in making godly decisions. They, they are factors. God has used godly counsel in my life time and time again. It's been such a blessing in my life. In fact, the decision that I made about whether or not to continue my master's, I ran it by someone that I respected very highly and he said, you got to go for it. He says, he says, I think God has showed you the dangers. You're aware of the dangers. You've laid it out. You, you understand the situation. Go for it. It's like, okay. And I wanted to go for it, and Marie was behind it, and I ended up finishing my master's. It was kind of a 50-50, but I ended up making that choice. And God blessed it, and God opened the way. God could have closed the door, and then I would have been, okay, made the wrong choice. I mean, I mean you don't want me. But, but he opened it up, and it, he led. He led. So choose, ask counsel from older godly people in your life. And finally, make a decision while being willing for God to redirect you. Make a decision. At the end of the day, you have to make a choice, right? You have to make the decision. Now, hopefully by this time you have more clarity as to which direction you should take. But I want to be very realistic about this. You might have done everything that I have just said and still... It's 50-50. And still, you're not sure about which way to go. That's very possible. You might have to make a decision without having absolute assurance as to the will of God. But don't be discouraged. If you've done everything I've talked about here, I believe you can make a decision, make a choice, and God will direct your steps. It's not always possible to know the will of God with 100% certainty. But it's always possible to make a godly decision. Does that make sense? It's always possible. God's a good shepherd. I don't believe it's easy to miss the will of God. I think you have to purposefully ignore God. You have to refuse to submit to Him. You have to ignore His word. That's possible. You can do it. But on the other hand, I'm convinced of this. Personally, I am absolutely convinced of this, that if you are trusting in the Lord with all your heart and you want his will above your will and you are acknowledging him, I am convinced that it is impossible. Hear me very clearly. It is impossible to miss his will. He will direct your steps. So make a decision. Move forward. 
And as you move forward, expect God to direct you. So as you move forward, keep your hands open. Don't move forward like this. <laughs> move forward, keeping your hands open. He can redirect your steps. He might close doors. He might, If you made a wrong choice, he can redirect you. God has billions, trillions, trillions of ways of redirecting you. It's not a big deal to him. And he's a good shepherd. He can, he can guide you. He can guide you. But make the decision. All right. Six steps to making a godly decision. But at the end of the day, what do you have to do? Let's say it together. You have to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. All right, we're going to say it one more time. Uh, we, we said we're going to memorize it, right? So can we do it? Let's try it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your step. Amen. What a wonderful truth. So I hope that can be a help to you in your walk, in your Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you you want to lead us. And thank you you've given us everything we need to be able to please you. Help us to make the tough choices in life. Help us to make godly decisions. Meet these young people, that they would make those choices that will lead them towards you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.